The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, whether you're listening on TalkZone, by podcast, through the archives of our ad-free shows on our YouTube channel, or connected through the incredible content of our Facebook page. Our guest today, Renu Arora, is a British-Asian artist who trained at the Central School of Speech and Drama and for over 15 years specialized as an actor, singer, writer, and songwriter. On March of 2017, she experienced a life-changing accident and a near-death experience when she was hit by a bus and dragged under its wheel. During her recovery, she read hundreds of stories of people's traumas and NDEs and discovered that Inside these stories, she felt a sense of home and of hope. Their truths and their words were the echoes of her own NDE. Renu writes, There is no doubt that this experience transformed my life and my approach as an artist. My work honors my new identity. Alongside performing for the Royal Shakespeare Company and being commissioned by BBC Sounds, Renu has her own podcast called The Burgundy Book. Renu, welcome to NDE Radio. Thank you very much for having me on, Lee. What an honor. Oh, it's wonderful. And I'm, and there you are in London, and we're doing all this uh, by Zoom. Like the world, the world operates through Zoom now, doesn't Who'd it? Who would have thought it? The world's become so <laughs> small <laughs> and so connected. <laughs> uh, Renu, you were, you were born and grew up in a small town in South Wales, although you come out of an uh, Indian background. Um, You described it as uh, green and quiet and you lived a sheltered life, but you must have been quite exotic to the to the young Welsh boys growing up. (laughs) (laughs) Were there other Indian families in the same town? I use the word exotic, but um... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, there were there were not all that many, but there were. Wales is uh, not as diverse as perhaps other parts of more so now, but not sort of growing up. Mm. So uh, we found ourselves a little bit isolated. We had a, a South Asian community that my parents found, which sort of became our social saving grace. Uh-huh. So we only really socialized with that particular community that was called Rangmunch, uh, which means colorful stage. And there was a group of 10 families that gathered every month and they take it in turns to host, the families would take it in turns to host, cook a meal for the other families and have a gathering. So every every Diwali, Christmas, New Year, all the kids in the group would get together and the adults would throw a massive party and we'd have sweetie fights and more chocolates than you've seen in your entire life and <laughs> <laughs> all sorts of fun. <laughs> Were you able to preserve uh, your language or did you all just speak English? We spoke English. I mean, some families taught their children Punjabi slash Hindi from a young age. My family hadn't quite. They they thought that if they taught us the mother tongue, then we wouldn't be able to sort of catch up with English, which we know research says the opposite, but they didn't know that then. So I was very interested in the language myself, more so than my brother. So I suppose I, by osmosis, 
absorbed it when mm-hmm. they spoke to their friends. So I find now that my understanding is very good, but because I never practiced, my speaking is quite broken. Uh, now, you were born with a twin brother, uh, Ramesh. Is that the name? Ramesh, that? Yes, yes, you did. Thank who, you. Who uh, died only 10 days after being born. Yes. Uh, but you feel his presence, uh, you told me. And uh, since yeah. your NDE, you talk with him every night um, through automatic writing. I do. Um, that's that's really neat. <laughs> oh. uh, and I, I think I asked you um, the last time we talked, did, did you um, ever plan on having him uh, uh, write a book through you? You've planted the seed, Lee, for sure <laughs> now. <laughs> yes, I mean, it. It's such a special thing. As, as I mentioned when we last spoke, it's, it's something I've always, always wanted to connect with him before mm. my accident. And every now and again, I felt this presence on my right side, but I, it never lasted. You know, and I'd often say, you know, Ramesh G, G, G is an endearing term. It's a term of respect. So one says often G on the end of a, end of a name. Uh-huh. Like Mummy G, Papa yes. G. So, <laughs> yes, of course, you know, sure. So I would I'd say, Ramesh G, where are you? Where are you? And I wouldn't hear anything or feel anything. But every so often I'd feel this presence and I'd, I'd say, I wish, I wish you were here more often. I wish I could feel you more often. I wish, I, I wish you'd incarnated. I wish we'd had a connection mm. here in this lifetime. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a twin? <laughs> well, and he's told you, I guess, that uh, he feels his purpose in being born was to be a, a companion to you yes. through your through your life. Yes. And uh, you had been nicknamed Tina. But yes. He he chose to call you Tina Truth. Tina Truth. Well, actually, I wasn't nicknamed Tina. My name at birth was Tina. Ah, officially. Uh, we were officially. We were three months premature. Ramesh G and I, mm. so, and we were very small as a result of being premature. I was one and a half pounds, so tiny. Yes. And he was three pounds. Uh, and he sadly passed because his heart couldn't cope with his larger body, whereas I was tiny, but completely in proportion. So yes. didn't have sort of medical problems as such. So because it was such a shock, and also my parents were living in a very small town in South Wales and South Wales even now is not as sort of uh, progressive as England is in terms of healthcare. So my mum didn't get a scan even though you know it was the first pregnancy she was concerned but she didn't get a scan they Mm. didn't do a scan so she was work she was teaching in a school she was teaching on her feet all day every day leading a very busy life and thinking she was having one child. And then on the day that her maternity leave started, she went into labour. And during labour, they said, you're having two. And she was utterly shocked. My dad wasn't there because he was sitting his accountancy exam on that day. Mm. He had to sit it because that was obviously his way of providing for the family. So she was, you know, thousands of miles from a family who were in India. My dad was sitting as an accountancy exam. We were coming three months early and she was finding out she had twins. So because of the shock, she panicked, named me Tina because (laughs) her next door neighbor's daughter was also called Tina. 
Oh. But he added the truth. Your brother right. did. Yes. Right. Yes. I wanted to ask you, too, about your dad, who you said was very knowledgeable in um, the traditions of um, Hindu gods. He he read you tales from the Mahabharata. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you said you never questioned the existence of magic as you were yes. growing up. Yes. Was that a result of, a, of hearing the stories from um, the tradition? Yes. Also, it was a result of watching the Mahabharata on video in the days of VHS tapes. We watched it every week. Oh, wow. And we loved it. It was just, it was magical and fairy tale like and nothing we'd ever seen on UK television. So we loved it. I think I have that same tape. Uh, I don't know that I've got a machine to play it on anymore, but there's a wonderful story in the, I think it's on the cover or maybe in the little booklet that came with it about how um, the the last man wanders aimlessly through this dank, dark place that is, he's the last man on earth. And it's just completely bleak. It sounds like a a nuclear wasteland almost. (laughs) And he comes suddenly he spots a little boy sitting under a tree and he um and it's the god he goes over and the the god says uh and i think his name was mark and you look tired you need to get some rest so um just come into my he he swallows him basically (laughs) and when he gets inside the body of the god he finds Beautiful villages, uh, wheat fields, uh, cows grazing and little children playing. And, and he wanders, he wanders for a hundred years through the body of the God and never comes to the end of it. And then after a hundred years, the God spits him out and says, well, I hope you had a good rest. And really it's, that's like our lives, isn't it? In a way, except that we don't, we don't come from a bleak blasted place we come from a beautiful place so are you, are you sort of by the way that's a beautiful story so touching so do you mean that our lives are the rest they could be they uh, i i'm not sure which which way to do it because the god offers this beautiful yeah place to retire to to recover from what we've been through so uh but then right. see that that implies right. that really strongly implies reincarnation doesn't it yes yeah. Yes, yes, which of course we all, you know, have an understanding of given yeah. our experiences. We we get swallowed by the God and then we get spit yeah. out again. Spit back out again. Hundred <laughs> percent. It's a beautiful story. Thank you it for is. sharing. It is. Yeah. Um, yeah. When you were eight years old, you wanted to uh, be in the Christmas play in your school, I and was. and you and you were at the uh, tryouts. Tell us what happened. Yeah, I was a. Uh, quite a shy kid but I knew I wanted to act and sing especially sing <laughs> and auditions tryouts as you say were coming up and I I just something in me knew that I had to try out for the show I'd never sung before in my entire life not even to myself but something in me said you just you just have to so the day came and people the, the kids were auditioning and I had my hand in the air and I wasn't picked and I was outraged. Something took over. So I just stuck my hand up and I went, me, me, me. You can't, I have to go. You can't forget me. And then the teacher was like, you know, all right, all right. By that point, they picked who they wanted. And I ran up on stage and I sang 
This Little Light of Mine, which is an old folk song. Something just took over. I hadn't planned it. And I had my first out-of-body experience. I remember leaping out of my body, sort of feet away and up to the ceiling and looking at myself, singing the song. And I remember thinking, oh, where is this voice coming from? Because it was big and powerful and good, you know? And I, I didn't. I didn't know I sounded like that. And I was so <laughs> happy and I got the lead role. <laughs> <laughs> and it was wonderful. And I remember thinking, I, I feel like I've come home. I feel like I've touched something divine and I've come home. Well, and, and in fact, you did because that's the career you chose after, that's after right. that. But that's um, right. uh, it's interesting that you could be singing, powerful voice. You could be doing all of that and still be out of your body and observing from a distance. Yes. I think, that, I think that's a very interesting facet of that story. Most of our really? OB, OBEs are people who have been, you know, have died on the operating table or, yes. or in a coma or something like that. But you were fully functional on two fully levels. Functional. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but I mean, even in the, during the accident, when I floated up and had my NDE, I remember having a, you know, relatively similar in the sense that I ejected my body. And at that point, before I potentially lost consciousness, I know that there were several realities happening at the same time. You know, I was obviously trapped underneath the bus. I was also, part of me was also standing up with my keys and wallet in one hand and my other arm in the air about to wave to my friend. And the other reality was that I was floating up about to have an NDE. So Seems like that's a theme in my life. <laughs> yes. Well, let's uh, let's go to that now. Why don't you sure. tell us? Um, you had been sick for a while, glandular fever, and you weren't yes. feeling very good, and you wanted to meet a friend and have a meal with her. Yeah, that's right. So I I I was very sick. I um I had glandular fever for the third time in my life, and mm. I'm sure you know about glandular fever. It's horrible, and it can really ravage. The body and every time I had it, it took me between six months and a year to recover my health and energy. And I'd I'd got it, knew I'd got it for the third time, and continued to work through it foolishly because my priorities were all completely uh what's the word? Wonky, as it were. <laughs> I was good good British word for it. <laughs> yes completely wonky <laughs> but I was, I was I was prioritizing the wrong thing and <clears throat> and I actually remember and I, I you know I was working all the way through it and I remember being at work feeling so ill feeling like I was going to pass out and texting a friend of mine saying I've, I'm going to pass out I've gone green and it was the 28th of March 2017 we were him and I were sitting in a restaurant and I was crying because I was so ill. I was so ill, I could barely speak. So all I could do was just cry. And I was just saying, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. And, and he could see it. You know, I could barely sit up. He said, I know you've worked through feeling so unwell. It's, you've gone through hell. Can you, can you go into work tomorrow, take a break and just sort of tell them that you need a few weeks or maybe even a couple of months off? And I just went, potentially, yes. I'm, I'm very stubborn, so I'm not sure how much I would have how much time I would have taken off but the following day I did go to work I did say to them I need a bit of time off they were okay 
And I did come home thinking, how much time can I or should I really take off? And of course, that night the accident happened. Mm. So I was, as you say, you know, I, I'd come home from work about to make curry with a friend. And sorry, there's a ambulance outside. And uh, she used to live with me and then had moved out to get married. So still lived across the road. So we had arranged to make some food and she'd known that I'd been ill. So she said, do you still want to make? And I said, yes, I do. Just help me chop everything and we can still have our evening. This was about sort of six o'clock and I'd come home and my phone had lost its battery. So I text her to say, look, I've got no battery. I'm just going to go to the shop to buy our ingredients for our curry. Give me 15, 20 minutes and I'll see you back at the flat at half six. So off I went to the shop, leaving my phone at home. And I filled my basket up with all the ingredients. And I go to pay and I realise that the queue is extending outside the shop on this day. And it was 29th of March. It, there was no festival. We live in a Jewish area, no Jewish festival. It, it perplexed me why that would be the case. And I got worried because I had no phone. So I just thought, you know, she knows I'm ill. She's going to be at my door waiting, buzzing my bell. And she'll be concerned that I'm potentially passed out on the floor. So I thought the best thing to do is just go and find her, wave to her, let her know I'm okay then go back and pay. So I told the cashiers I was going to do that, left the basket on the counter, walked out. And there was, there was where I used to live, there was a bus stop obscuring the view up the road where I was looking, which of course I knew. And I didn't think sort of walk a little bit further up the road. I was looking up through the bus stop and I looked, I couldn't see her. I, I, I walked a little bit further towards the edge of the pavement through the bus stop, still couldn't see her walked a little bit further still to get a better view, put my toes over the edge of the pavement, put my arm in the air, thinking if she sees me, because my eyesight's not great, if she sees me, then she'll know that I'm, I'm you know, here, safe, in the shop, I'll just signal, and that'll be, that'll be that. As I put my arm up, a bus swerved in to the bus stop, which I, I hadn't seen moments before, caught the edge of my boot and started to drag my lower leg and foot underneath the wheel of my bus of, of the bus not my bus sorry and as if in slow motion I watched my lower leg and foot be taken by the bus and I remember thinking to myself how much of me and how much of my leg is this bus going to take I think I'm dead mm. wow so then there was a like a confluence of different times yeah you are out of your body, but you see you're under the bus. Your body's under the bus, but you also feel like you're standing waiting for the bus. Yes, yes, yes. And you also feel like you're rising up above the bus. Yeah. Ta well, the first that. reality was that I, I remember standing up. I, rem I, I, I was under the bus, mm -hmm. but I remember my feet being planted firmly on the ground, keys and wallet in one hand and the other arm in the air. It's almost like there was an energetic imprint. And I felt like I was standing up. Mm. And then I realized that I was under the bus. And then I felt like I was floating up. And it was the most discombobulating feeling I've ever felt. It was extraordinary. But once I 
started to float up. Of course, I had no experience of being under the bus or standing up because that became my reality for the duration of the NDE. Mm. So I started to float up, float up really high. And, and I saw myself underneath the bus. I saw the top of the red bus. I floated higher and higher. And it, it felt as though the higher I floated, the, the more the physical world started to fall away. My experience of it. And I felt my wingspan was the whole of my borough or the whole of London and back. I felt so wide, so light, so peaceful. And I also felt like I was surrounded by light all around me. Beautiful shards of light, like uh, light beaming in from a window, sunlight beaming in from a window. Mm. And I felt like I was enveloped in that. And then it, it, it felt like all these beautiful shards of light were coming at me or beaming into me from every single direction, like a star. Mm. And I felt at the center of this light and it felt so loving, so one, so peaceful. I felt like I was everyone and everything and there was not really an I anymore. It was a all of us. It was every, everybody. There was no separation in that moment. And I felt myself being filled up with love and purity and divinity. And my heart then was taken out of my chest and given a beautiful polish like you get at the car wash <laughs> to the point where it was sparkling clean. And I, I saw it and felt it and filled up to the brim with love and then put back in. Wow. Did you see any other beings? I didn't see any other beings, but I did also hear a voice. And whilst that wasn't the being, it felt like that voice was God. It was a divine being. So that voice came from up and to the right. So my, when I connect with my brother, he's always on my right, but around here, this came from up and to the right, sorry, on, on my shoulder, mm -hmm. up and to the right, the voice. And it was a deep, sounded like a male booming voice that resounded through every molecule of my being. It, it was resonant and loving and full. And as I heard the voice, I also saw the words appear. They were black. Like a, like a speech bubble, it appeared and it faded. It appeared and it faded. And the voice simply said calmly, love is all there is. And then again, give love, give love, give love. Because love is all there is. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, as we know, there are not, no words to really describe the enormity the divinity the presence the essence the beingness that we all feel excuse me this i'm in the middle of london so there are sirens <laughs> uh you know that we feel on that day which of course which of course changes and we take with us through the rest of our physical lives on this planet i felt like my soul transcended 25 lifetimes in that space i really did and i could feel it at the time i could feel it i thought uh, I didn't, well, I didn't think I knew that I'd grown, that something in my soul had grown so much 
And if I were to come back, that's what I would bring back. And then I had an extraordinary life review. And during my life review, I had screamed. And the scream had hoovered me back into my body like a pipe like this. And I literally felt pulled back in in a moment, in a millisecond. So what had happened was there was a man driving a white car in parallel to the bus. And I'd seen this as the accident was happening. He was driving in parallel to the bus. And as the accident happened, he saw me go up. He'd seen me go under. And then he came then to a stop in front of the bus. So he opened his door, leapt out of the car, looked at the driver who was equally stunned, looked at me and just screamed, go back, you've got someone underneath you. And at this point, after my NDE, I was in such shock. I hadn't remembered the NDE, but I was back in my body, hadn't known what had happened. Felt obviously massively in shock. Couldn't really compute what was going on because my brain wasn't quite working. But I'd heard him scream and something in me said, say what he said. So I then verbatim, word for word, screamed, go back, you've got somebody underneath you. (laughs) Still not really realising that somebody was me. But something in me said, do it, do it. The driver was still stunned and didn't didn't roll back, didn't reverse back because he was too stunned. The, The gentleman then screamed a second time, go back, you've got someone underneath you. And then I screamed it again. And it took three attempts for both of us to scream before the driver realised, was able to compute himself what had happened and reversed off me. But before that, before that happened, during, in between those screams, I remember because there was an, like an animalistic urge to be free. And I do remember thinking to myself, I suppose foolishly, but then that's all I thought. I thought, I don't care if I lose my leg. I just don't want to lose my life. So obviously a bus is 10 tons and I had no chance of getting my leg free, but I didn't, I wasn't thinking straight. So I, I remember because obviously my foot and leg were flattened by the bus because it's so heavy. Mm. And I remember thinking, oh, my leg is paper. It feels like paper, so thin. So I then tried to pull it free and it's it's remarkable you must have heard this a lot Lee in your interviews what people remember during times of extreme trauma when you think you're going to lose your life because I literally at the moment of impact I thought I was dead as I said I'd seen a program maybe 15 years earlier about a woman in the states who had suffered a horrific shark attack and she was at sea she was an experienced diver she was at sea and had very sadly uh, met a shark. The shark had uh, taken her leg, bitten her leg at the at the sort of at the, at the groin area, so the whole of her leg. And she describes it, and she says, "I heard a pop, and I looked down, and my leg had gone." Mm. That rushed into my mind when I was pulling. And I pulled the first time and I thought, oh, yeah, great. There's movement. It's coming out. It wasn't. I was potentially breaking my bones by trying to pull my leg from the bus. And I pulled the second time. And I remember then seeing this image of the woman and what had happened. As I was pulling a third time, the image was so present. I just said to myself in my head, if you pull any more, 
you will disconnect from your leg and you will definitely then lose your life. Stop. So I just had to surrender. That was the EMT in me saying, don't do that. <laughs> EMT? What's EMT? Uh, emergency medical technician. I, oh. I served on an ambulance for, for right. several years. Um, right. No, because if you'd torn it, torn it off, you would have bled to death almost immediately. Yes, yes, yes. yes. The crushing probably slowed the bleeding. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah I would think so. Uh, that kind of more? weight on it, yeah, uh-huh. I would, I would think that ten tons uh, on your on your leg would pretty much, as like you say, flatten it to paper. The yeah. blood vessels too, right? And it slows slows the bleeding because the blood vessels are flattened. Yeah, yeah, right. How quickly did an ambulance get there for you? Within about ten minutes, very quick. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, you're, it's a miracle that you survived that. Yes, it is. Yeah, I feel it. Now, there are parts of this. You're an ongoing artist. You were an artist before this happened, and, and you're an artist now, and a performer yes. and a storyteller. And there are parts of this that you are planning to preserve in the form of art. Yes. I take it on your uh, Burgundy Book podcast. Yes. Tell us a little about how you plan to construct an NDE artfully. That's the million-dollar question, Lee. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So the Burgundy Book is a series of – it's an audio art series. We call it podcast because it doesn't really fit into a a genre, so that's the easiest thing to speak of it as. Technically, it's an audio art series about the accident at NDE. And because I'm a storyteller, actor, and singer, I've constructed the the series in such a way that – each episode is a standalone episode. So, for example, you can listen to episode 10 and not feel like you've missed one tonight. And each episode is between three and eight minutes long and is a quick and potentially short, depending upon the time, uh, vignette window into different aspects of the experience that, like I say, are standalone. So there will only be potentially two episodes that, that speak about the NDE in detail but all of the episodes will have bits of the NDE in it, if that makes sense. Mm. And the NDE episode will have a song as well. The uh, reason I ask this question is because I'm always looking for ways to communicate the reality of a near-death experience in in ways that people won't say, oh, isn't that an amazing story, and then walk away from it because it doesn't really fit into any part of their life. It just seems so almost alien to some people. Uh, that's not yeah. true of religious as much, but to someone just, you know, you pick on the street and said, let me tell you about my NDE. But if there were a way of doing it through art and music and or music, it might be easier for them to integrate it into their, their own life experience and their own understanding. Yeah, and I th- you're right. You're, you're, I, I hope so. That's obviously why I'm doing it. And I also feel as though, I mean, there are going to be 12 episodes in total. And, you know, all the other episodes are about different aspects of the experience, including some episodes about how my life is now and what I've done since and performing at the Royal Shakespeare Company. And and that, for me, as you may have heard me talk about this, I very much feel like I'm being guided. And that's very much as a result of the NDE. So I'm very much hoping that the NDE will sit in the context of the whole of that story 
and people will hopefully begin to see that it's not that particular episode that's the pinnacle, it's the whole thing. It's how it then influences or I allow it to infuse the rest of my life. And I think you also said that it's, and somehow it's galvanized your choice of parts or perhaps even yeah. the, the kinds of parts that you've been offered. Yeah. That it's that each of these parts involved something that's at least partly magical. Absolutely. Magical, it has to have a sense of magic or mysticism or something otherworldly for my being to hook onto. It's got to be something in it. The choice of parts is so different now. I mean, I even resonate with Shakespeare in a way I didn't before because it's so magical. It's so full of fairies and it's something that I feel very connected to in a way that I, in a more visceral way that I never did before my NDE. So yes, I, I, all of my choices now are, are I, I sort of put through that filter almost unconsciously as, is it right? Is it is it purposeful? Does it feel right? Does my body come alive when I think about doing this? And it's such a, a different way of sort of, I suppose, navigating the world in the sense that I'm also very much about allowing things now rather than pushing. Before the accident, I used to be one of these people that would constantly push and strive and, you know, kill myself by working, as, as I mentioned before. And there was no sense of, oh, I wonder what the universe has in store for me. It was like, I want that and I'm going to get that. And it was horrible and I didn't feel good and as a result I put all these layers and defenses up you know and I remember during my glandular fever during that year before the accident I'd lie awake at night crying just sort of saying to myself praying I need to break I need to break and then of course the accident did that in a very big way it broke everything Mm. you know and as you know after a massive trauma I was I felt so vulnerable and so hollow for a long time. I had broken. And and society and well, very well-meaning people, and you can I can understand why they loved me and wanted me to heal quickly, would say, you know, bring the old Renu back. When are you gonna bounce back to your old Renu? And and I'd say, the old Renu is not coming back. I left my old skin under the wheel of the bus, and I'm actually I'm grateful because although I was in extreme amounts of physical pain and emotional pain with my crushed leg and all the changes that come with that as you know in my life I felt a beauty because I was so raw that I'd never felt before not to make light of it but if you ever write a book on this you could title it uh, God Threw Me Under the Bus (laughs) I think I should I love it (laughs) And yes, exactly. because it's true and because such goodness has come out of it, along with the injuries, <laughs> yes. miracles have happened cycle. as well. Yes, absolute miracles have happened. Oh. I agree. I think you said also, and your NDE brought you home to yourself, yes. brought you home to your faith. Yes. Or at least the faith you'd never had before in, in the, yes. perhaps the storytelling in the Hindu tradition. Yeah. And you said, I talk more about magic now. Oh, all the time. I love it because I really feel like magic infuses my life. And to me, magic, I think love wears many coats and magic is one of them. So, you know, magic for me feels like synchronicity. When when things happen, which they do so frequently now, synchronistic things, I just go, thank you. Thank you, magic. Thank you, love, because it's magic. 
Mm. And that's, I feel, because I'm so much more connected to it, I expect it. And therefore, I see it. And because I'm continually seeing it, I'm continually expecting it, and it comes. And I feel so blessed for that. Yeah. I think you also said magic comes under the umbrella of love, which I, I love that sentence. Yeah, yeah. I love that Absolutely. Image. It does, it does. Yeah, I think so too. Well, I often say love wears many coats and one of them is magic. <laughs> the notion of reincarnation in, in Hindu tradition believes yeah. that we go through animal lives as well as other human lives. I suppose you could be a tree or a fish, a bird. Is that true? Now, yeah. I mean, that's magic. I mean, that's yes. a, a very magical interpretation of what our soul can accommodate. It is, but I love it. I think Hinduism is absolutely beautiful. The essence of that, certainly what I was taught growing up, which I don't ascribe to now, is that you will come back as an animal if you don't do good in this life. Oh. And it, for me, that I don't ascribe to a sort of a God-fearing faith because I feel like God is all-loving as opposed to... So that's one of the big changes for me now is, is the fact that although I still... I'm a Hindu. I, I feel like I navigate faith and I feel like my Hindi is also, also my faith in a very different way. I don't, you know, when I was very little, I remember my brother and I were playing and I, we were quite <laughs> cantankerous as children together. We'd fight a lot as kid, little kids. And I remember stubbing my toe on the bedroom door and I was crying because it was bleeding. And my mum said, well, this is what happens if you upset your brother. <laughs> <laughs> and she surely meant you. She said it in jest, you know, there was there was it was full of love, but I remembered it and I went, Oh really? God punishes me because I <laughs> I called him a name. I'm eight. <laughs> <laughs> so God momentarily turned into a bedroom door so that you could stub your toe on it. <laughs> yes. I, I don't think it works that way. No, I don't either. Well, you know, one of the things about what she said, if the Hindu believe that being an animal is a punishment because you did something bad, that may not be exactly the way it works. It may be that an animal has the ability to learn certain things that a human can't. In other words, it's a learning process rather than oh, a punishment process. I love that. Yes. I truly believe that. I truly believe that animals are way more intelligent. They've oh, got yeah. Oh, my goodness. Skills that we'll never. It's amazing. They're and, and so their, connected. And their capacity to love, even in oh, the wild, yeah. the way they yeah. take care of their cubs, you know, a, a fox or a wolf or a bear. Uh, that's, there's a love connection. Yeah. Built into they're that. So con they're so, I mean, animals have got it right. I mean, they're so connected. They're so in the moment. You know, they don't something happens to them they don't potentially well they might do but often they don't sort of get depressed or ptsd right? they just get on with stuff <laughs> <laughs> now the, you know the, yes the last time we talked you mentioned you were a teacher of the alexander technique who had also had an nde yes and, and he said to you that he believes that part of our souls remain up in heaven or on the other side yes he did i was seeing him uh, he was helping me with my um, posture and alignment as a singer far before the accident. And after the accident, he'd known what happened and had come to see me. And he used to actually be a therapist 
in the TFL, uh, Transport for London, the tube network in London, mm -hmm. for um, drivers who are traumatised by people jumping onto the tracks, which happens frequently. Wow. Yeah, so he was very, and I knew this, so I knew that he'd be safe to speak to, you know? And he came over to my home and shared his own NDE with me, which I hadn't known until I had mine. I think that's the power of NDEs. It can, they can bind, bond people in such a beautiful way. And um, where are we going with that, Lee? I'm so sorry, I've forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> that part of our soul uh, re remains yeah. on the other side, or yeah. perhaps all of our soul. I mean, we talked a little about that, too. That we are just avatars yeah. down here in our bodies that being manipulated. And I, I'm, I think I mentioned that St. Paul said we are already seated in the heavenlies, which uh, is, which is kind of a, a prediction of that uh, way of thinking. Yeah. Maybe our soul was already there, but when we come back, we sort of, we, we embody it and realize it in a much deeper way. Yes. So we'd spoken about, I was raw. I was very raw at this point, which was only a sort of six months maybe after the accident. And, and I said, I want to be back there. Because for a long time, like a lot of people, I, I, I didn't understand this world. It felt heavy and I felt too big to come back into my petite, small body. I wanted to be in there. And he said, yeah, part of your soul's there. It, and it's, and it's going to be there for a while. I don't know how long, but it might always be there. Don't do anything like sort of meditation because it might, it might be difficult for you for, for the for, for a while. So I took that advice because it was helpful. I didn't. And I actually remember feeling as I was sort of going through life in the next sort of few months or so that it is still there. And after a while, I actually thought, I'm glad it's still there. I hope it stays there. And the, the part of me that's there sort of, I suppose, now is a part of me that I can now use and ground. But I'm aware it's there and it's part of my connection back whenever I, well, you know, whenever I feel like I need to access some wisdom, I feel like it's there and I can access it. And it's also the portal through which I connect to my brother. Mm. That's right. You also had mentioned that you wanted to keep that portal open as much as possible between this side and the other side. Yeah, for sure. What's Absolutely. The, what, what's the best technique for doing that, do you think? Oh. <sighs> Like all of us, I can find myself getting caught up in the sort of mundane, the mundanities of everyday life. That, and I find that when that happens and I become anxious about anything, it could be the smallest thing, my brain's sort of whizzing around a day-to-day -day something. And I lose that experience very quickly. And I know it's there. It's just the fact that it's been covered over by a superficial anxiety about anything at all like the dentist, nothing important, you know? Mm. And I find for me what really helps me to connect to that space or reconnect to that space, which is now I feel always there, is taking time out, whether one calls it meditation, just sitting with myself to come back to me. And I, I have a balcony, which is my little bit of heaven, I call it. And it's for me, sitting in that space brings me right back to the present because all there is in that moment is, is me on the balcony, looking at a very large tree. And often there are beautiful birds in the tree, and I look at them, and we have conversations often. Oh. And it is such a beautiful thing. It's, I've never had this experience before, because I have a very large tree in our garden, and it's so 
magical to connect in such a way with another being, a bird. I've always loved birds. I think birds are angels. And it, it just brings me right back to that space without, without fail. They say St. Francis talked to the birds. And they would oh, really? come, come and sit on his head. That's why they make all those garden statues with him uh, oh. hol- holding a, a little dish to, for birds to drink out of, or else they'll have a, a bird perched on his arm. Something oh, like that. That's lovely. Now, you're, one way you're keeping this portal open is because you have a, a soul connection to your twin and, yes. uh, and you're doing automatic writing. Do you think that's something that um, other people should try if they're missing someone who's died and want to communicate with them just to see if they, if they sit quietly with a pen and paper, see yes. if they can write hello, are you there, and see if there's an answer. Oh, 100%. 100%. Because they're there wanting to connect with us. I, just to go back to what you were saying about the best technique for keeping the portal open, I think two things come to mind, if, if it's okay to, to add to those things. So one of the things I think you, I was going to say is that I can't sort of do physical exercise in the way I used to because my ability has changed, but I can do other things. Anything physical that gets me out of my head and into my body is really helpful for me, whether it's yoga, Pilates, sit down sports, whatever it is, or sports, if you can play sports, walking, anything that gets you either in nature or into, into that, that right brain, that sort of ethereal space where you're not sort of overthinking anything can be really, really useful. And I think also for me, because I use the experience of my work consistently every single day, it's always present. And that's an absolute conscious choice. Because I think if I had, if I was in a job where I couldn't speak about it and had to squash it, push it down, it would be a very different story altogether. So that's my way of keeping it open because it's too important. It needs to infuse into my life so that I can spread the message and give love as it were. Now, what was your question? I'm so sorry. Course, <laughs> automatic writing. <laughs> yes. No, uh, well, I had a question. I hadn't even started to express it. I, I was going to ask, you, you had told me your father was so interested in words yeah. and, the, and the meaning and the power of words. Yeah, he's and, and, and you and, oh, okay. And uh, you and I had talked about God creating the, the universe with a word, speaking word. And, and it happens. So that, that power of the word is, uh, is, not, is a spiritual power as well as a communication skill. Um, words and, have energy. Words have a lot of energy. And I think we need to cho- choose our words very carefully. Certainly that's what I learned in my NDE, that words have a lot of, words and thought, especially words, have a lot of power. And Part of giving love, you know, I think giving love comes in many different forms and guises and manifestations. And one of those could be physical, the act of caring for somebody physically if they can't care for themselves. Another one could be giving words of love. And I'm a great believer in words of love because I think words of love can influence and can envelop and can hold and can heal if they're said from the heart. Where do you want to go now with the Burgundy book? 
Well, the Burgundy book isn't, of course, released yet, as you know. We're still working. We're currently working on it. Mm-hmm. So it will take about the best part of eight months to finish it, record it, release it. And then I, I want as many people as possible across genres, across disciplines, across cultures, everywhere, to be listening to it because when I, in the immediate aftermath of my accident, as you beautifully read out in the introduction, I I read so many books on trauma, NDEs, injury. I, I literally immersed, my, devoured every book I could find on the subject. And the reason for that is because I, as an artist, one, one seeks for sort of, you know, representation to see themselves represented in the arts. And I couldn't find any artistic response to an experience like mine that I could come home to. So I read all these books. And although there were aspects and parts of the books and various words that, as you know, I felt at home inside, it wasn't an artistic response. So I decided then in that time period that I'd make my own artistic response. So the Burgundy book, the reason for the Burgundy book is to create the artistic response that I never had for people who are, well, anybody, but especially for people who are traumatised. And one of the reasons the each episode is so short is because my uh, concentration was so limited in the early days, I couldn't actually... And my nervous system, as you can imagine, was so frazzled that I couldn't be around all that much stimulation for very long. So I made a decision to make every episode short so that if somebody has had an NDE or had a very serious accident or is going through a life change or an illness or an injury or a bereavement, and they're in that very raw, hollow, horrible space, they can pick it up, listen to three minutes, and that's enough, and put it down. Wow. Yeah. That, that will be artful if you can communicate what you want to in three minutes. Thank you. Okay. Well, I'm trying. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to it. One Thank thing, you. one thing I was thinking uh, in thinking about this program and, and your family and your traditions yeah. was that I don't know that anyone is out there. Probably there's someone is, but I don't know of them uh, with a podcast dealing with the, um, the power of the stories in the Mahabharata and that that could be something that would, you could either read or act on your podcast. That's a lovely idea. I mean, after this, the plan is to do a one woman show anyway, Mm. the Burgundy book show once the podcast is done. So I could easily bring that into the show. I probably will actually. That's a lovely idea to make it a bit more visually beautiful too. Yeah. Yeah. That's really nice. That's really nice. I think I think your father would be pleased as well. Oh, he'd love it. He'd love <laughs> it. He loves he loves all that and words and very mystical. They both are, but especially my dad. Does he know? Does he know that you write to your twin? No. Well, he does know because uh, he listened to my iron speech whilst I was writing it <laughs> a few weeks ago. He does know, but he's um he probably he'll probably forget. Bless my dad. Oh. So how much of that he took in, I'm not sure. He's elderly now, you know. Oh, um, yes. 
I know. <laughs> oh, I'll, bless you. I'll, but I'll tell you, um, if he knew that uh, your twin was responding, I think he'd be much impressed. I think he would. But my dad comes from a generation where they didn't speak about their pain and their trauma. So they don't speak about it between themselves. So um, my parents have never really, I, I've asked them many, many times sort of, you know, what happened and what were the, the, the specifics surrounding his passing. And mom doesn't get as triggered as my dad, but my dad can't be in the room when we talk about this at all. Uh, oh. He's just, I, I really feel his pain is so tangible. So a lot of the information I've actually received from him directly, from Mercy directly. So I feel like he would be impressed, but I think he'd also be in pain. And I don't want to inflict that on my dad. You know, my dad has a son now, I have a brother, and he's very happy. And I can see when I mention him, I can see him flinch and I can see the, 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 the physical pain. It would be, um, if he could get past that point, to realize that he's still very much alive. Yes. And still yeah. very much his son, and still yeah. and still able to communicate, would be uh, dazzling if he could get past the initial pain. Right, maybe I shall have a chat with him. That's a really good point. Maybe I'll ask Ramesh how to yes. watch it with my dad because yes. he'll know exactly. Oh, that's you that's know. brilliant. Well, he very much feels like an aurora. It's, it's lovely in our conversations. He's very much part of this family. And it's so beautiful to feel. Well, it's such dedication. Yeah. For a soul that could be free to yes. become your guardian angel. Yeah. You know, I knew that. I um, the, the only time I had any me- long and meaningful connection with him was I went to Brighton many, many years ago, uh, close, to, close to London. And uh, a friend of mine was starting to channel and she said she knew about my brother. And she said, do you know what? Should I, should I try and do a channel of him? And, and, and she did. It lasted about an hour. And she kept saying, I only came on this planet for a week to be able to spend the rest of your life serving you. My only purpose is to serve you. And I went, oh, gorgeous. So I've always remembered that point. That I day. wonder what sort of relationship you and he had in a previous lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. Because he I really wonder. he really loves you. Yeah. I wow. really love him. Well, Renu, this has been wonderful. Uh, oh. Powerful show, I think. And uh, I'm so appreciative much. to you for sharing so much. And um, well, if listeners you. wanted to find out more about you or what you've been doing or, or, or find the Burgundy book, what's the best way for them to uh, contact um, yes, so they can look at my website, which is, I always forget, I think it's renuaurora.co.uk. I'll just double check okay. it right now. All right. And then spell it for them. I will do that now, yes. Okay. Here it is. Yes. renuaurora.co.uk. So it's R E N U A R O R A dot co. UK, www.renuaurora.co.uk. Everything is there. They can contact me there, but they can also contact me on social media. I'm very present on 
Facebook, which is my name, Renu Aurora, Twitter, which is at Renu Aurora One, and or Instagram, same. Lovely. All right. Thank you, Renu, for sharing your story, your NDE, and how it's inspiring your art. I'm sure this program and your art will help heal the world, which is what we're all trying to do. One NDE at a time. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Thank you for your lovely questioning, Lee. Very sensitive. Thank you. And when the podcast is ready, send me an email so I can uh, listen to it. So I'll know. All right. I'd love that. Thank you very much. If listeners would like to hear this show again, or any of our more than 450 archived ad-free NDE interviews, go to TalkZone's NDE Radio site and hit the Past Shows button, or go to our YouTube channel, NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, where you can subscribe to and comment on the complete NDE Radio library. And be sure to check out our NDE Radio Facebook page. Just search NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, on your Facebook app and listen again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern at Talk Zone for more NDE Radio. I'm your host, Lee Whitting, saying thanks for listening.